Before we get into this episode of I Am Salt Lake, I want to read a post for you that Chrissy just barely made in the I Am Salt Lake community. Chrissy came up to me this morning. She said, hey, I need to make this post. I think we need to uh, we need to use our Facebook group to bring our community together. We need to, this is a time, everything that's going on right now with COVID-19, this is a time to uh, unify as a community. Anyway, uh, this is the post that she made. She says, we are so grateful for all of you awesome people. If you have any needs or are looking to help anyone in need during this time, please post in our community. We're all in this together. Also, please join SLC COVID-19 Community Connections and Community for Corona Needs. Uh, Both of those are other Facebook groups dealing with people here in Utah, people that want to help other people, people that are looking for things. I know we have a lot of mother listeners that are looking for formula, you're looking for diapers, you're looking for even just some milk. Head on over to these groups. We'll put those at IamSaltLake.com slash 424 for episode 424. Uh, we want to be able to help the members of our awesome I Am Salt Lake community. We need to stay safe. We need to share with others. Let's keep each other going during this difficult times. Right, Chrissy? Right, right on. That's exactly what I think. Hey, today on episode 424, this is our conversation with Matt Eau Claire. Matt is the CEO and head dude over at Clearwater Distillery. For those of you that aren't familiar with Clearwater Distillery, well, they're at Utah County's very first distillery. They have a heck of a story. We're going to get into that in just a moment. Let's quickly introduce ourselves today. Let's tell the uh, listeners who their hosts are. My name's Chris Hollifield, and you can follow me on my personal Instagram, and you could find that at Chris Hollifield. And my name's Chrissy Hollifield, and you can follow me on my personal Instagram at Lady Salt Lake. And if this is your first time listening to this podcast, you might be asking yourself what it's all about. Well, this podcast is all about showcasing awesome people right here in Salt Lake City, Utah. We talk to business owners, comedians, authors, tattoo artists, restaurant owners, breweries, distilleries, really anyone that might have a cool story to share. Hey, in this episode of the podcast, it's brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Remember, when you support our sponsors, you're directly supporting this podcast. The Love Promise program is what makes Subaru and Mark Miller Subaru so special. The Love Promise means being more than just a car company. It's Mark Miller Subaru's vision to show love and respect to all people at every interaction with Subaru. Mark Miller Subaru is dedicated to making the world a better place. Subaru of America actually selected Mark Miller Subaru as the country's 2018 Love Promise Retailer of the Year. This is the most distinguished award Subaru of America awards each year, and it's only given to one Subaru retailer throughout the entire country. Mark Miller Subaru was selected for this award because of Mark Miller Subaru's unique and strategic approach to supporting charitable causes here in Utah. While Mark Miller Subaru has donated a sizable amount of money over the years, that's not all they do. Mark Miller Subaru develops deep and meaningful partnership with charities to make real change in our community. So whether you're buying a car at Mark Miller Subaru or you're just simply getting some service done, you're helping Mark Miller Subaru leave a mark on the lives of others in our local community. Mark Miller Subaru has two convenient locations for you to visit. Mark Miller Subaru Midtown at 3535 South State Street in Salt Lake City. This is the one that Chris and I personally use for all of our Subaru needs. And Mark Miller Subaru Southtown at 10920 State Street in Sandy. Hey, go test drive a Subaru today. I really think you're going to love it because I could not imagine 
living here in Utah without our Subaru. Again, go visit them at their Midtown or Southtown locations. And many thanks again to Mark Miller Subaru for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Okay, let's get into that conversation that Chrissy and I had with Matt Eau Claire when he came over to our podcast studio, and we got to find all, out all about what it's like being a distiller in Utah County. This is a really cool conversation, you guys. Enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Bam, here we go. Let's start right at the beginning, man. Where's home? Where'd you grow up? Let's like go back to Matt as a young as a young child. Yeah, of course you asked the hard question. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of like Highlander. I'm from lots of places. I I uh, lived in Ohio, New Jersey, Virginia, Michigan, and North Carolina uh, before we moved to Utah. And who's we? Like your your family, oh. your wife, kids, all that. Uh, yeah. So, um, who's what do we got? Met my wife in Michigan. Okay, going to college there. But yeah, basically lived out east uh, most of my life till I was about thirty. And then uh, we were in North Carolina, and my wife and I were like, you know, uh, we want to just go explore the West because we love travel. So uh, we came out here um, one October, and uh, in a series, actually kind of thinking about, well, we should, you know, move out West. Where should we go? Right. So uh, she has a cousin uh, that lives in Springville. Okay. That we hardly knew and like met only a couple of times, but, you know, came out and uh, saw him. And then we went down to Vegas because we were looking at Vegas possibly to move to also. And, uh, you know, and it was nuts. It was just crazy. This was 05. Everything was uh, kind of exploding there. And so we, you know, it's like, well, you know, really we love Salt Lake was kind of a cool area too. And uh, so we just decided to move to Utah. So we put the house up for sale. It sold in nine days. We quit our jobs and moved. Any plans on what you were going to do when you got here? Uh, we hadn't figured that out. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I wasn't, you know, in uh, software, still am, but, uh, you know, it's pretty easy to find work. Uh, yeah. As a developer. So I uh, wasn't too afraid of just saying, okay, we'll just go out there. And in three weeks I had like 11 interviews and a job, couple job offers actually in that much time. So it wasn't uh, too tough. Yeah. It wasn't super scary. Right. But it was just super cool being able to move out here. But That's you didn't so know a ton of people, right? No, no, no one virtually. But, but you got established, you got your roots set in a little bit and now you love it, right? Totally. And in fact, this is the first place we've moved back to. We moved uh, in uh, 2012. We moved to San Francisco for two years. For what, what did you do out in San Francisco? So I got offered a, a director position out there uh, managing some developers and, you know, did that gig and did the Silicon Valley thing and lived in downtown San Francisco. We were on third and mission and, you know, right in the heart of it. And it was just awesome. Zero regrets about moving there. Amazing town. But it got to the point where, you know, and we had lived here for, I guess, about five or six years at that point. Uh, there wasn't any way to get away from the noise and the hustle and bustle because every now and then you need it, right? I mean, it's cool to be right in it and, and doing all the fun stuff, but then from some time to time you need to get out and chill. Yeah. And we just couldn't get away from folks very easily. In fact, <laughs> like, you know, Sunday morning at seven o'clock in the morning is a traffic jam out in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, where's everyone going? Yeah, where, where's this coming from? <laughs> why are, why is everybody else in a hurry to, so what would you do? Like go camping or something when you were out in San Francisco? I mean, how did you get away from it? Yeah, the 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 way we found to get away was we went up to this town called Mendocino. Okay. A little north at, uh, up the coast about four hours. It's an awesome little town. I mean, it's, it's actually pretty quiet. In fact, uh, we went to this yarn shop uh, that's there in town and 
because oh, my wife likes to crochet and we went in there and, and met the owner and it's basically like just where all the biddies hang out and, you know, crochet and, th- and she used to be a lawyer. She was a lawyer in uh, Southern California, had this big law firm and everything. And, and she got kind of the same thing. She's like, I'm, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm just going to go retire and open a yarn shop. That is so cool. <laughs> it was, it was really neat. And, you know, so we sat and chatted with her for a while, but that was kind of where we'd go to get just, away. Just get away from it all. Yeah. Now, so what brought you back to Utah then from San Francisco? Yeah, it was just that thing, right? It was, you know, we wanted to be able to have some solace and we're like, well, you know, yeah, we could do a lot out here, you know, make good money, all the stuff. Um, but really we missed our friends. We missed, uh, you know, being able to go out into the desert and have five square miles of desert to yourself if you wanted to go camping and, and all of that. So we just decided to move back. So we kind of joke that we went on this two year mission mission and failed miserably because we didn't (laughs) baptize anyone. (laughs) And when did distilling come into it? The picture for you? Uh, Like when did that come into, cause I'm sure that came way before the idea for Clearwater even came along or no. Uh, yeah. So distilling is this weird thing. Um, it wasn't like I knew it was going to happen. It wasn't, you know, anything. And, you know, one, one Christmas, a bunch of my friends got together. See, we host a lot of, uh, poker games and, oh, we, and a lot of parties I like it. who like you and your wife. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. And, and more than that, like we do 4th of July parties and stuff. We have all the, you know, the fun things like horseshoes and, uh, cornhole and all this stuff. And we actually have this trophy, uh, that I built, um, we call our place the Clearwater Ranch, and I built this, you know, cheesy uh, trophy made out of an old silver cup that I found on Etsy and some pallet wood, and I put like these copper plates on it. And then, you know, we have a tournament for cornhole, for darts, for poker, and for bocce. And whoever wins the championship that year gets stamped into the copper plate for perpetuity. <laughs> That's <laughs> just, so cool. It's just a total joke, right? It's just, you know, it's not really worth anything. You don't want money <laughs> or anything, but it's just for fun. You know, so our group of friends, you know, we'd do all this and poker was, you know, one of them. Anyway, uh, you know, everybody just kind of thought it would be cool. And they knew that I was into um, spirits as just kind of a, you know, I just like. Like a hobbyist. Yeah, I guess you could say just that. Just enjoy drinking. Um, I know that, that has so many connotations to it, right? I enjoy spirits, you know. I, I enjoy it. Oh, I like spirits, man. <laughs> no. But no, it's, I actually like, I guess, discovering new spirits. That was really kind of the thing. I like different kinds of, I, I went through the whole world of scotch, uh, and that started early on, and then got into tequilas, and then got into kind of a connoisseur. Yeah, I guess you could say that. I mean, not so much a lush. I mean, you'd think that, oh, yeah, see, he drinks a lot, but you know. (laughs) You taste a lot. Right. I taste a lot. There you go. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. So they all knew that and they thought it would be cool. They all chipped in and got me a still for Christmas. No kidding. Yeah. How long ago was that? Um, I guess this would be. A while ago. Like three years ago, I think, something like that. You know, so I couldn't disappoint them, right? So, I, you know, I'm like, I got to put this to use. I got to, you know, make something. And so. You know, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to come out like kerosene or jet fuel or some nastiness or something, you know, but I was trying to think, well, what would, what would be cool to make, you know? And, and I just started thinking about, you know, the end result. And uh, so I thought, okay, I've never heard of anybody like really working on a sangria, not like that's a spirit, but you know, I really love sangria and it, it sounds like it would be cool and interesting to ferment that and then distill it and just see what comes out. Right. Totally random. Didn't really care. I just wanted to do something. Uh, so put that through and I'll be damned. It came out pretty awesome. Drinkable. Absolutely drinkable. drinkable. It was well, that's smooth. That's the most important. <laughs> that's yeah. true. Right? As if it's, it's just, that's fascinating that, yeah. I mean, has anyone ever done that? 
I don't know. Wow. <laughs> uh, it, I like it. But I just like, what the hell? I'll just do it. And, mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, wow, people, you know, I could drink this. I keep drinking this. And, you know, it didn't make very much. It made like a bottle or something like that. And, you know, it was really cool. And, you know, then uh, come to find out, you know, I, I was thinking, because I'd actually gotten into beer for a while too and really researched doing beer and thought, you know, maybe at some point I'll get a whole get up and, and just do my own uh, brewing, which, you know, a lot of folks do. And, and you can dump lots of money into that. And I just didn't need something else to, <laughs> to dump now, a lot now of money were, into. Were you looking from like more of a hobby or were you actually looking at maybe turning this into a business? Well, at the time it was just a hobby, okay, right? Yeah. I was thinking of it as a hobby, but we found out that um, you actually can't do it as a hobby. Legally, distilling. Oh yeah, like yeah. beer. You can make beer and wine all you want, right? Uh, no but license, distilling no is like. Deal. And how did you find out? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it. Whatever we figured out that. Oh, by the way, yeah, you have to have a license to do this, and it's a you know a distilled spirits plant license. And then you know, but then we also found out that you could also distill technically with a fuel license. You just have to then render what you make undrinkable. Uh, by pouring gasoline in it or something, because you're actually making, you know, like camp stove fuel. Oh, so you could wow. just do it for fun and then ruin it. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so if you want to learn how to distill, it's great. Yeah. Um, and you can distill anything you want. And then, you know, as long as you make it fuel, cool. <laughs> is go. that, okay, this is a dumb question, but is that easy to just take any distilled beverage and make it into fuel? Well, yeah, you just, all you got to do is add gasoline to it. Really? Hmm? Chrissy likes that. I don't oh, know. Drink for me, a drink for you. A drink for me. A drink you know, you got to mow the lawn with some fun. I don't right. know. <laughs> I'm mowing the lawn with brandy. <laughs> There's going to be really pretty circles. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, so did you get this license in like this yeah. jet fuel license? Or yeah, yeah. I got jet? a fuel license just so I can do it. But then, you know, I thought, well, okay, you know, we could really, um, how fun would it be just knowing that you'd have to have a manufacturing license? Would it be to just make stuff to sell or even just to share with friends? And, you know, how cheap would it be? How easy could it throw something like this together? And um, the license for Utah, surprisingly, is expensive compared to the rest of uh, all the other licenses that you need. But the Utah license, I think, is like 3500 bucks plus another 1000 to apply or something like that. And uh, even the federal license is only a few hundred is, and that's only a Utah thing. Utah's a little more spendy, you're saying? The, the license is. Interesting. Yeah. And I'm not super sure why, because the scrutiny really is all on the federal level, even though there is some scrutiny, of course, at the Utah level. Yeah. But I mean, it is what it is. I don't know if they're trying to discourage it or, or whatnot. But, you know, so I'm like, okay, trying to do all the math. What would it take? And so we're thinking about doing this, you know, real small breaking bad Winnebago out in the desert, you know, <laughs> operation to make fuel and, you know, legal or not fuel, but uh, booze legally. Um, you know, could I put, get a shipping container and, and, and whatever. So I'm thinking like, you know, okay, maybe 15 K might do this, you know, and you know, it's a lot, but it's, you know, something I could just kind of do. And then we'd just make some stuff and should be able to pay for itself after a while. And that was kind of the thing, right. To be able to pay for the license. So you'd have to sell a few bottles. Well, that just kind of spiraled. <laughs> that went nuts. Um, and, you know, and when you get into it, it's just not super practical because, you know, you need uh, water and, you know, a good water source for cooling. You need power. You need, uh, you know, a lot of things from an infrastructure perspective that, you know, you're just not going to get out of a shipping container. And remind me, before this, you were doing computer stuff. You were yeah. like a computer mm-hmm. programmer. So you didn't, this wasn't like anything to even do with what your main job was or anything. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's a hobby so that got completely you're out You're learning all about this as it goes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, YouTube, university, books, um, you know, a lot of tours, talking to a lot of folks. The cool thing is this industry 
everybody is super, super cool. And, you know, you'd think, oh, I want to go, you know, can I ask you some questions about, you know, what you're distilling or your process or anything like that? And uh, I even talked to David Perkins years and years ago uh, from High West. This was probably, and this was before we moved to San Francisco even. And then back kind of on the, the topic of beer brewing, because I had looked into, you know, how, what it would take to, to make beer. And I even read, you know, John Palmer writes this book called how to brew. And it's kind of like this beer brewers Bible and tells you a ton of information. And, you know, and one of the things that he kind of gets into in that is that yeast is really important for beer flavor. Of course, uh, all brewers know that. And a lot of people who drink beer know that, but in the spirits industry, yeast isn't really, or wasn't at that point, a thing, you know, the, the, the yeast that everybody used was this you know, it's kind of a distiller's yeast, or they call it a turbo yeast that is supposed to make uh, all this alcohol really fast, like 40 hours or something, but, you know, really doesn't impart any flavor. Um, so when we went to High West and they were still just in the little uh, saloon there on uh, Park Avenue and actually went downstairs and got to talk to David and just say, hey, man, uh, you know, tell me about your stuff. What are you doing? And and he's like, you know, yeah, we're, and he was actually doing a, a whiskey run at the time. And I started asking him about yeast and he's like, oh, oh that's something I won't talk about. And no, like, no secrets. He didn't want to give any secrets. Yeah. And well, the, yeah. the thing I thought was cool about that is like, oh, he gets it. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Finally, you know, you find somebody who's doing spirits that says, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeast is part of the equation too. But when we had taken tours at, you know, these places, uh, any of the whiskey distilleries around the U.S. or, you know, and out of the U.S., nobody really cared. They're like, oh, we use that yeast right there. In fact, I got a picture from one of the distilleries in Scotland of the exact yeast that they use. And they didn't care because everybody uses the same stuff. So yeah. we, we back. So you got to go to your, some distilleries in Scotland. Uh-huh. Did you do that for research to start Clearwater? No, at the time, no. Uh, it was just, again, out of that kind of hobby curiosity thing. And Wow, this guy goes like way in. I mean, when, <laughs> I, start a, awesome. when I start a hobby, I'm like, ah, this is going to cost like more than 50 bucks. You know? <laughs> like, can, I, can I afford this? You're like looking into shipping containers. You're looking into like everything, oh. man. And this is just a hobby. Yeah, well, I mean. You I know, mean, what's your facilities like now? Oh, you got to come down and see. I got to come and check it out. Yeah. It's cool. No, I mean, we don't, it's nothing special. I mean, yeah. we have the, the requisite equipment, but, you know, I think where we're really kind of spending our time is around research uh, and doing new things. And we've got some pretty cool things coming up too uh, regarding that. But yeah, I mean, so, but back to say, you know, about the yeah. industry, everyone's really super cool. Yeah. They, they will very much uh, go out of their way to help you out, answer questions and, and that sort of thing. Uh, other than, you know, the, the trade secret kind of stuff. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Momentum Electric, which you can find at MomentumElectricSLC.com. Momentum Electric is your local Salt Lake City electrical company with over 10 years of experience from Kevin and his team. At Momentum, you can always trust their employees in the work that they do. I'm going to run down some of the services that they offer. Maybe you need to add some wall outlets. Well, they can do that. Maybe you want to change out or add some can lighting. Well, they can do that. Maybe you want to change out devices. Well, they can do that. Hey, maybe you want to change out your electrical panel and service equipment at your house. Well, Momentum Electric can do that. Hey, did you just get yourself a Tesla or some other electric vehicle? Well, Momentum Electric can take care of that for you. If it has to do with electrical, chances are Momentum Electric can help you out. Momentum believes in following the National Electric Code and doing the finest work to make your home more beautiful and more efficient. 
Momentum Electric has fair pricing and they will never try and sell you on something that you don't need or doesn't work for your personal situation. They're always going to listen to your needs and help you solve your issues in the best way possible. Hey, listen up. Momentum will always treat you with the utmost respect because they want to create a lifelong relationship with you. Their website, MomentumElectricSLC.com, but better yet, you guys, just give my friend Kevin a call over at 801-580-2430 so he can give you an estimate for your job. Again, that website, MomentumElectricSLC.com, or just give Kevin a call, 801-580-2430. And many thanks to Momentum Electrical for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. So when did it come in from you, a hobby, and you're like, well, maybe I'll make some money. Let's open up a business. Let's open up Clearwater. How mm-hmm. did that come about? And how long ago was that approximately? So, yeah, I guess time-wise, it was about a couple of years ago. Okay. And it was all this, you know, thing about the the license and saying, okay, can we, you know, put a license together and then, you know, pay for the license? And that's just kind of where it's spun. You know, it's like, okay, well, let's just start figuring out what is it going to take to really uh, make this a thing. And then I thought, you know, boy, I've been doing uh, software and uh, data architecture now for, you know, 25 years. Uh, I can't do this forever. Uh, and I look at my, my dad was into uh, software and he was 58 and got laid off uh, from a, a job and never really found work again. Cause you know, you know, it's hard to find work at 58, right? It's kind of becoming an ageist realm too. Kind of. Yeah. The, a little the bit. Industry, the software I, industry. Yeah, yeah. At least from, from my perspective, it's like, Ooh, I don't know. They're a little bit older than this. They probably aren't up to speed, you know? There's that. And then there's the salary, you know, when you get up, yeah. when you get up that old, you know, you, you obviously your salary goes up as you get longer in your career. So it's like, how do you replace that salary? Yeah. And if there's somebody who's younger who brings a fresh look at things and, and that sort of thing uh, with a lower salary, it's kind of hard to find work. So, you know, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking about my pop and, you know, he retired early because of that. No big deal. I mean, he, they managed, but you know, I can't do this forever was basically what I came back to. And, you know, not that I'm near that age yet, but I just thought, how cool would it be to do something like that? Because software is only as interesting as the industry you're working in for the most part. But then even after that, after you've done it over and over and over, um, there's no challenge. So I thought, okay, I had all my life, like most people thought about owning a business, and you go through this, you know, oh, yeah, it would be really cool to do that. And, you know, grass is greener. And I know that trading, you know, working for someone and starting a business has, you know, they're, they're trade-offs, right? I mean, some, some things are more difficult, some things are easier, um, but you're basically trading one set of problems for another. And, but I'm like, okay, well, I'm ready to see what set of problems are over here and can we really work through them? Because the upside is a retirement, you know? Yeah. Early retirement, move on to something you love. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. I said, oh, okay. Let's look into this and we'll see. And um, it, it wasn't so bad seeming from the beginning. And so then it just kind of made a commitment to it and just said, okay, we're just going to see this through. We're going to do this. Um, and I don't know really when that happened, to be honest. I know that's kind of where you're getting no, at. No, no. I was I just mean, curious, like, you know, how it happened and, and when, but I mean, that's a good enough answer for me. I was just kind of curious how it all came about. Yeah. When did you start thinking maybe we should look for investors? Or like maybe we should crowdsource, you know, <laughs> right away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because uh, you know we definitely needed some seed money to get going um, for nothing other than to do uh, recipe development. 
you know, and just practicing learning, distilling and all of this stuff. So, you know, there was money there. And so I actually talked to my folks and, you know, got, uh, they were confident enough with us to say, you know, I'm sure you can figure it out. Cause I figured a lot of things out over my lifetime. And of course your folks always have, you know, a soft spot in their heart for you. So, so they gave us a, a good chunk of money to get going and it actually lasted us about two years to get all the way to the point where we had a building, we had a lease, we had all the equipment we needed, the production level equipment, we had our recipes, we had our marketing put together and everything. So we were able to get that far. Uh, and then to your point, um, you know, we recognized that, okay, well, we definitely need a little more than this to really kind of get things off the ground. Uh, so then we started looking into raising money for the company and that turned out to be way more difficult than I thought it would be. Uh, as far as networks go, you know, you know, your personal network, we didn't have a lot of folks in ours that are, you know, really kind of, uh, the investor type, uh, individual and, you know, a lot with resources and such. So kind of exhausted that pretty quickly for the people that we did know, I found out pretty quickly that I wasn't very good at raising money. <laughs> it's now, hard. How were you trying to raise money? Did you do a Kickstarter at this point? Because you're still raising money currently, even for Clearwater, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, that was just it, right? I mean, I tried the traditional route, uh, trying to put together a you know executive summary and say, okay, here's you know what we're looking for. We're trying to raise. I think it, you know I was starting out looking for a raise. We were looking for like a million and a half or so, which is about standard for a distillery. And, um, just kind of struck out pretty much left and right, but learned a lot is why that didn't work out. But then at the same time found like this idea of, uh, equity crowdfunding and it's similar to Kickstarter, but there's a real important difference uh, with Kickstarter, you typically kind of put money in and then you're kind of donating because if the, if the company doesn't work out or whatever, it's gone, but I guess that's most things, but, but then if they succeed, you get like a product or, you know, some swag some or kind of kickback mm. in some way. Yeah. Yeah. A thanks you yeah, know, for, yeah. for donating the money. And that's cool. And that model works, uh, in, in large part, but you don't really have any involvement after that. It's just kind of done. So with, um, with equity crowdfunding, which was uh, created by this Jobs Act in 2016, it's different. So really what happens is you, it enables people to do micro investments to where they actually own equity and a piece of the company. They own shares. And uh, generally the reason why that had been prohibitive before is because you have to be uh, – what's the term? I forgot. It's um, – accredited, an accredited investor. And that means that, you know, the money that you're going to invest won't uh, make you destitute, right? So like, you know, if you don't want to take somebody's retirement, some old lady's retirement, and then, you know, she thinks she believes in you and you convince her to, to get in on it and then everything goes south and then she's kind of screwed and you're screwed and they just don't want that to happen. And that's cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, so what this does is it gives like the average person the ability to invest without being accredited, but it's kind of based on like your salary and things. And then it also allows you to do these micro investments. So you can actually buy a portion of the company for as little as 250 bucks, you know, so then, and that's pretty accessible for a lot of people, you know, so that's kind of what we did. We found this company called Start Engine. Um, I looked at a few of them. There was WeFunder and uh, Seed Invest and, you know, did some research on who kind of uh, looked like they were doing it decently and they're all new. Uh, so they all have their problems. But so Start Engine we went with and uh, so we've had a campaign with them going now for, boy, I guess since... August or September, I think September. And none of your booze is even available though yet, correct? Or exactly. so, so nobody's even tasted it. People are donating or not donating, investing, I guess. They are investing. Um, it's definitely a you know a ground floor type sure. of thing. But you know, we have done some uh, focus group 
tastings, um, we were able to do that uh, so that we could get an idea of what we're making. Is this really worthwhile? And people said it's great. We've got amazing feedback, surprisingly good feedback um, from folks. And in fact, one of the people that got involved with our company, his name's Adam Opalik. He was High West's basically employee number one uh, that David Perkins hired. And he uh, moved all the way up to being head of Western sales for High West all the way until I think 2017 or 2018. So I got introduced to him and I said, hey, uh, would you like to be part of the company? He says, no. (laughs) <laughs> flat out just no i mean down. it wasn't that so we actually talked over dinner for like four hours but he's like you know i got things going and whatever but you know i kept at him and uh he i eventually kind of convinced him to you know to be part of it and he says okay send your stuff off to this guy he's up in seattle his um he's one of these uh spirit opinionists or bloggers and, and whatnot and so okay cool i'll send him some stuff see what he thinks and then adam says to me he says okay look this guy is brutally honest. <laughs> uh, be prepared that if he doesn't like it, he's not going to hold back. He's going to tell you that, you know, it's not awesome or whatever and just be prepared. Okay, fine. So I send all the stuff off to him and he sends stuff back and he's like, oh man, this is every time I take a sip of this, it's something different. It's really cool. It's, you know, and I really like the way you, and you could try doing this with this and maybe try doing that with that. Cause I sent him a few different things and I'm like, you know, this, doesn't sound all that bad. It actually sounds pretty good. So I sent that back to Adam. I said, does this sound like good feedback to you? And then he sends back in all caps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was like very constructive feedback. It yeah. seems like. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well that's a bit. Uh, like, maybe I'm on to something. Yeah. Maybe yeah. this is actually good. So what are you distilling? What kind of, what, is it like a, like a vodka or what do you got going on that you're doing <laughs> over there? Yeah. That's really the core of things. Right. So uh, no is the short answer. Um, we're, we're doing things that, in our minds or, or my mind, whatever is that whatever's going to taste good. Okay. So instead of starting from the point of saying, okay, I'm going to make a rum or I'm going to make a whiskey. No, I'm going to make like the sangria thing. I'm just going to come up with this idea from a taste perspective and work backwards. Okay. Um, I'm listening. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that we're doing now that we're actually putting that we've got some already made, we're, re- we're ready to put in bottles right now, um, was uh, the idea of taking a rum uh, and then also taking a gin basket. Uh, and I had not heard of anybody doing this of running. It, it, and it kind of came from the idea of trying different bases with rum or with gin, I mean. And I wanted to see well, what would it be like if you took all the stuff that you'd put in a normal gin basket like juniper and coriander and, and get rid of all that savory stuff, but then put cinnamon sticks and vanilla beans in the gin basket and run your rum through it like you would normally distill for gin. And I started doing some research on that. I couldn't find anybody who's doing that. Nobody, wow, nobody. That sounds like that could be good. Sounds, oh man. I thought so. Yeah. You know, I'm like, well, maybe there's a reason why nobody's doing this. Maybe it's just awful. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> but I'm going to try. <laughs> so uh, we did it and I put, you know, and oh, it was so funny. I put in cinnamon sticks and I have no idea how much to put in the gin basket, right? You know, and, just throwing stuff in, hoping it comes out okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then so we run it and then it's like, holy cinnamon. I mean, like the whole neighborhood smelled like cinnamon. I'm like, oh shit, we put in way too much. Um, but actually it was just the aroma that was getting pulled out of that. But it and the way the spirit actually ended up coming out was amazing. It, it was it was just right because I don't like any of the spirits personally. This is my thing uh, where, you know, there's like sugar added or syrups or things afterwards. And I'm not a really huge liqueur fan either, but, but I wanted to have a spirit that was not sweetened or anything. It's just basically a natural 
fermentation and distillation into a spirit. And so this did that. Like it took the floral notes of the vanilla, it took the spiciness out of the cinnamon, but then married that with like the bananas and the tropical uh, notes from the, and the vanillins from the rum. And it just melded it together in this thing that it was just like, wow, that really works. Yeah. That, yeah. that really works. And it, it smells like a Cinnabon factory. <laughs> so what you're looking to <laughs> get, th- so this stuff will be eventually in liquor stores then. Oh yeah. 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 It's in fact, it's made. It's sitting in my distillery right now, uh, getting ready to get in the bottles. We're just waiting for our labels to to get its way through the federal process. And we've got our bottles in-house. We've got the bottler. We've got everything. We're ready to-, to So maybe about when this releases, maybe- We should, be, we should be, be selling. Selling stuff out into the, the public and, and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Interesting. Wow. Doesn't yeah. that sound delicious, Chrissy? Oh, it sounds way delicious. I was on your website looking at You're your- You're over there uh, sa- salivating. I, I really am. I'm like, man, I wonder what that would taste like. <laughs> I'm just imagining. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Salt Lake Dreadlock Shop. The Salt Lake Dreadlock Shop's mission is to make Utah cool one dreadlock at a time while offering a clean, affordable, and professional experience filled with love and understanding. Now, I can tell you from personal experience that they deliver on that promise all the time. I actually went in for my second visit with them, and I got to hang out with Missy while she was doing my hair and helping me understand why she was doing it and how I could take care of it and what to expect. And I just felt like family. You know, I really loved being there with them. They're such great people. They do fabulous work, and I absolutely adore my dreads that they gave me. So if you are interested, you can get a free consultation with them. Just text them a picture of your hair at 801 824 8298. Include what you're looking for, your name, and they'll respond to you as soon as they can, let you know what to expect and if they want to meet up and give you a quote. So just give them a call, 801-824-8298, or visit them at slcdreads.com. And I just want to say, I love dreads on you, Chrissy. (laughs) They look awesome. Oh, thank you. They're so fun. Anyway, hey, thanks a lot uh, to Salt Lake City Dreadlock Shop for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's get back into the conversation. Why Utah County though? Let's, let's, I want to make sure I got to cover that because I mean, this is kind of a big thing too, right? Like, cause there's mm-hmm. never been a distillery in Utah County. We are the first. Why? And why did you do it? I mean, there's a lot of questions <laughs> there, I guess, but the, the, the answer of why we chose Utah County is really boring. It's cause we live there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just convenient. Oh uh, yeah. We live in, why do you live Lehigh? there? No, <laughs> That's another I'm, great I'm question. Lehigh's no. cool though, man. Lehigh, they're doing a lot right there. Lehigh is exploding. Yeah. Lehigh is doing it really well. Um, but we chose Lehigh um, basically because of its central location. We like, and we love the outdoors and we love being able to get to like Moab and, and out and down South and out to the desert. So we just wanted to pick a nice central spot uh, near the freeway where it was easy for us. And that's how we ended up in Lehigh years and years ago. But, and then, you know, yeah, for the distillery, it's like, well, I wouldn't want to commute all the way up to Salt Lake again, you know, cause I'm kind of done with that. And yeah. just because of the traffic. And so it's like, well, let's just do Utah, Utah County. And it's like, well, Hmm. It's kind of conservative in Utah County. Uh, I wonder how that'll go. <laughs> yeah. So, but we said we'll try anyway. How tricky was it? I mean, I would assume it's a little bit more challenging in Utah County than Salt Lake County, but I don't know. My guess is it probably wasn't, right? You're right. Yeah. It wasn't. Oh. It wasn't that big a deal. Um, we found a building in Lehigh uh, that we liked. And, you know, the problem was uh, the zoning. Like there's there's hardly anyone in Utah County who is zoned for a distillery use, obviously, because there's really not a lot of demand. Um, <laughs> so we found that we had to go. That was the first kind of hurdle we had to go over. So we went to Lehigh City 
and said, Hey, um, anyway, we could, you know, find a way to get distilling into some more zones so that we have more accessibility to facilities, you know, to do this. And they're like, okay, well, you got to go through this process, uh, with the planning department and then you go to city council and all of this. And so went to the planning department, met with them a few times. They're like, okay, this is cool. Uh, and then, you know, when it came time to go to city council, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go talk to the city council members. I want to give them an opportunity to ask questions. So I, you know, I contacted them and just said, Hey, do you want to meet uh, Starbucks, whatever, give you, you know, I wanted to tell you what, about what's going on. Just give you a heads up. So you're not surprised at some city council meeting. We're doing a distillery. <laughs> <laughs> just want to let you know, just wanted to see what the receptiveness would be with that. And, you know, if this will be an issue or what do you think? Um, and then what do you want to know? And they were all super cool. They're all like, hey, yeah, you know, I, I won't necessarily be a customer, but, you know, hey, uh, we're not, you know, we respect the fact that you're a business and, you know, you're, I told them that, you know, our intent wasn't just to do business in Utah. We want to be national and global if we can uh, reach that far. And, you know, so it's not, it's really just manufacturing. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like we're opening a bar and, you know, that kind of thing. So, and they were all really cool about it. And they're like, yeah. I, I find that a lot of people, including Utah County, that, we're trying to be open-minded. We're trying to like invite new ideas, new things into, uh, into the area. Well, we want to be I mean, industrious, the, right? Well, I think there's the, in prior, I mean, shoot, let's go back even five, 10 years. I mean, there was a lot more pushback. I think 10 years ago, you probably would have got a ton of pushback. Down it might've been different. I yeah. think you're right. And then, you know, what's fun is, that, you know, it didn't work out with Lehigh because of the building. Okay. So we ended up having to go to Pleasant Grove. Uh, where we are now. And same thing, like we, you know, we had to go through the planning commission through city council. Again, we found that they were really cool and receptive. We got, you know, universally uh, or unanimous decisions for yes, uh, for all of our, uh, the city stuff we needed to do, the zoning, the business permits and all that. And then the only time we ever ran into any sort of uh, kind of resistance to it was um, when we were just getting going, one of the Pleasant Grove uh, city council members posted on the Pleasant Grove Facebook group that there's a distillery moving in and wanted to welcome them. And, uh, you know, huge number of people were like, this is great. This is awesome. You know, way to go. Pleasant Grove, be a little more progressive. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then of course there were some voices that were like, I don't like this, uh, you know, for whatever reason. And I, and I can respect. They're worried the kids are going to come up there. Uh, you know, it's funny. The talk about kids was kind of involved in the planning process because okay, okay. the, the warehouse development they were in has like three dance studios or something for kids. Oh, okay. And, you know, so there was a lot of back and forth about oh, tasting room and are you selling bottles and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, you know, look, we're, we're a craft distillery. It's mainly a manufacturing facility. We will sell bottles out of here, you know, just because it makes sense to do that. But, you know, in large part, we don't really – want anyone under 21 to really kind of come in, especially not on their own and all that. Yeah. Um, so it's not really a thing. And some people were reticent about it. Others were like, yeah, we, we trust you because obviously you're staking your business on making sure that you follow the rules and there's plenty of laws and everything to, to make sure that everything's done on the up and up. And it's like, yeah, that's what we plan on doing. So they're cool. Yeah. yeah. It's good. No, Pleasant Grove seems great. My brother's got a shop down there in Pleasant Grove, uh, hmm. vape shop empire. I don't know if you've ever been there by chance, but uh, he's, he's had a lot of, you know, open arms, welcome arms down there in Pleasant yeah. Grove. So yeah. no, they're super cool. And yeah, like I said, the only thing on the Facebook deal was, um, a few folks that were like, Oh, we don't need another brewery. And it's like, well, it's a distillery. <laughs> uh, and then there's going to be a bunch of drunks around and it's like, no, no, I mean, that's not uh, how it works. Yeah, that's exactly. And what's cool is all the people that were on that forum were coming to the, our defense. 
and they were all like, Hey, no, this, that's, that's just not right. You don't, you know, really understand necessarily. This is not what that's about. And it was really awesome to see that. Like the community was actually rallying behind us too. Yeah. The fact that you don't have to be the only one sticking up for yourself is mm -hmm. really nice. Yeah. That was awesome. So you say another brewery, because I know there was a brewery in Springville, right? That's right. Yeah, Strap Tank. Strap Tank. They mm -hmm. seem, I still haven't been there yet. I'm sure you've been there a few times. Yep. Was there another brewery? Nope. In Utah? So that's the only brewery. Okay. I get there, well, there's Strap Tank. Yeah, it's in Springville, and they built one up on Point of the Mountain. Okay. Okay. Uh, Rick Salisbury stuff, and they're really cool. In fact, we yeah. know we actually were on the same curling team as the general manager of the Springville uh, store, uh, Stu. Hey, Stu. Um, anyway, uh, they're, they're super cool. And we were actually talking with them. We might want to actually do some distilling of their beer. Ooh, that would be cool. Yeah. Huh. Well, that'd be kind of fun just to do some experimentation with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, I guess I heard also too, that they're thinking about opening a brewery in Provo. Okay. Now you mentioned how you plan on getting this global kind of, you know, you're talking about wanting to go bigger than Utah. Is that tough to get out of Utah? Is that going to be tough to get your liquor out of, out of state? Is that, I mean... Not really. Or no. you just kind of find a broker or something probably and kind of go that route. Yeah. So what you do is uh, there's there's two types of states for laws uh, for alcohol distributions, three-tier states and control states. Utah is a control state. For a three-tier state, you're required what's, to have what's called a distributor. Uh, and it's this is old prohibition law about, uh, you know, you can't sell directly to the bars and restaurants as a producer, you know, i.e. a distillery. So for – and I guess it was – I don't know if it's mafia focused or whatever it was, but so anyway, so all you got to do is basically get a hold of a distributor and work with them. And so you actually ship and sell to the distributor and then they take care of the last part. Interesting. Hmm. Even though you're really on the hook yourself too, for doing the sales too. Yeah. You just can't actually do the direct movement. You must be putting in a lot of hours, long days, a few. Yeah. Not a lot of sleep. Not much. <laughs> is, is your wife pretty supportive? Is she, she's is amazing. She, she's, she's pretty, or is she working alongside with you? She is. She's neck deep in this. Uh, she's actually doing all of the accounting and she's doing a lot of the social media and, and advertising for around the, um, oh, wow. the, the crowdfunding campaign. Um, she's amazing. She's just uh, super supportive and she's busting her butt too. And, and we're, I mean, it's hard work. Yeah. I mean, we're spending 10, 12 hour days, seven days a week. Uh, working on this and you know you'd think oh, why does it take so long to get a distillery up well there's a lot of things but and there's a lot to do you know you would think oh how hard is it you get a still and and you're done right i mean yeah <laughs> <no>. <laughs> if only yeah right um so yeah and then i've got uh, two other guys involved i got uh, my buddy james and uh, he was involved right from the beginning. Um, he's uh, doing a lot of the distilling, a lot of the uh, operation stuff. And then uh, what's funny is we got another guy involved, another partner. His name's Craig Rollins. He's actually in Pleasant Grove. And he found us on the, the uh, Start Engine campaign and he invested and, um, you know, did a pretty solid investment. And then, you know, I'm getting these phone calls. He's like, Hey, I'm standing in front of your distillery. Where are you? And you know, <laughs> what's this guy? What was it's like, I really, really want to be a part of this. Yeah. And you know, he's actually contacting the city council members and they're wow. contacting me and I'm like, okay, great. We'll come down, you know, or, you know, we'll, we'll meet you. Cause we're not there all the time, you know, we're in and out. And uh, so he came in and, you know, we hit it off immediately and he's, uh, he's owned uh, some companies. He's actually retired and he's just loving the idea that there's a, a distillery around and wants to get involved. So and he, cause he's right there in Pleasant Grove himself. That's right. That's awesome. Yeah. So he's a re like, he's just like, I want to have fun with you guys. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> seems like it would be a cool place to work. You seem like a cool guy. Oh, thanks man. Yeah. Uh, what else? I mean, do you have any, what other hobbies and interests? I mean, when you're not 
distilling, man? Like what, what's Matt do, man? What, what, what do you do for fun? What, uh, what do you enjoy spending time doing? Traveling for one thing. I uh, love to travel, love to explore, love to learn about history and see new cultures and all that stuff. But then, you know, back home, we love to be out uh, rock hounding and camping and fossil hunting and, you know, riding side by side stuff out in the desert and, and that kind of thing. So, so I can see why you like living in Utah then. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. You can do everything. Everything is so close. Totally. You know? So yeah. you, you must be getting excited for summer right around the corner, spring right around the corner, get out and do some, some camping and hiking and, and uh, all that good stuff. Let, let, let's actually switch gears to, uh, yeah. to Salt Lake for a little bit. We have some mm-hmm. Salt Lake city questions. We ask everybody that comes through here, Matt, uh, where, what's the tour? Like if you have a family or friends and you're like, Okay, it's Sunday afternoon. Let's go for a little drive, or I want to take you here. What do you, What do you do? What do you, What do you show them? Yeah, so it really kind of depends on the family, right? Sure, because I mean, everyone's got different interests. Um, you know, there's we love going to the Family History Center downtown, doing some genealogy work. Uh, we actually did that a lot when we first moved here, and just because it's really cool to find out your roots. Um, and then, so we'll go there, you know, the requisite temple square kind of, um, you know, here's downtown, and uh, but then you know we love to go up to Park City. Lots of cool things to do up there. And then, of course, the rock counting, getting out, you know. And, you know, like we, my brother comes out and we often go, you know, what's what's cool to go do outside? Because, you know, he's from Ohio and the mountains aren't that interesting in Ohio. <laughs> mountains. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the air quote mountains. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it just really kind of depends. There's so many things to do. Um, and, you know, wintertime, summertime dictates that. So skiing or whatever. Are you a pretty big skier? I skied a lot when I was a kid in high school. I actually learned in the Appalachians, which is kind of a joke. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I learned enough that I can, you know, I can definitely hold my own here. So I came out here and we went skiing for the first time up at, uh, I think it was um, Brighton. And it's just like, you know, you're looking up at this mountain, you're like, holy cow. And we went all the way to the top. Like, this is incredible. So, but yeah, I love it. I mean, it's, it's great fun. I mean, it's incredible snow, incredible resorts are massive. Um, that's the big thing. So yeah, love it, man. It's totally cool. What about uh, favorite local eating spots? And I'll let you even go down to Lehigh, right? Like, cause maybe there's some good <laughs> stuff. I mean, you got a Moochie's down there. I mean, that Moochie's is what, well, you don't like Moochie's? <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a food snob. I'm sorry. No, Moochie's is fine. Well, They're good. It's I been mean, a while since I've had Moochie's. Maybe they went downhill. No, no, no. Know. It's good. I mean, for, for subs and stuff, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's solid. I mean, they got really uh-huh. good cheese steaks and good meatball subs and that. And I've had it, Yeah, you know, it's i'm not i'm not don't take it as a negative but you know for us i mean like you know sundance is like our favorite restaurant in lehigh okay okay <laughs> that's what we joke right i mean it's um there's just a lot of chains and you know mm-hmm. we uh you know when you live in san francisco you're used to for eating. a couple of years yeah i mean any t- chain restaurant that pops up in san francisco basically quickly goes out of business because you know you want the independent folks that are doing the cutting edge stuff and i know it sounds terrible like we're just these total food snobs but there's you know decent places fun. that are coming in it's more fun to like experience people's unique visions of food. And that's yeah, why I'm, I'm afraid yeah. of that here in Utah. I don't want the chains to come in and push the mom and pops. And that's why mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, even I what they're doing with like Ken Sanders tearing his, his oh, building down downtown. It's like, no, we can't take away these little mom and pop shops. Here. I don't think it's going to go that way. I, I think, and even in Utah County now, we're finding that there's some restaurants that are coming up that are really good. You know, that are these independent folks that are saying, you know, look, we need some, you know, some more culinary variety uh, around other than these chain joints. And I, and there are some that are good, but you know, the, these places, they're just allowed to be more creative. So you don't have to be part of a franchise or a standard menu or any kind of thing like that. So yeah, I mean, we're excited to see that. And I think they're doing okay. I think they're doing well. 
I don't think you're going to lose that here in Utah too much. So one or two favorites. I, I, or did you say one or two favorites or what? Well, uh, we, we, we like we, going to Sundance. That's kind oh, of our oh, so, okay, so, yeah, okay, so you did say that. You yeah. know, Log Haven's really good. We'll come up and, uh, you know, into Salt Lake. And Salt Lake has way more uh, options, obviously, than Utah yeah. County. What would you change? Let, let's say if you could change something about the area, Salt Lake Valley, the, mm. uh, what, what would you change? It? Something. You know, uh, this place is awesome. For one thing, uh, you know, all the accessibility to the outdoors and everything. So there's not a lot about that I would change. The only thing I would really wish I could do something about were the inversions. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's tough uh, when you get some really bad inversions going and, you know, there's that's about it. I mean, it's that kind of takes away from from living here. But fortunately, right now, it's somewhat uh, tolerable. Infrequent, I yeah. guess. Yeah. So I, w- I wonder what we could do about it, though. You know, that's like the number yeah. one answer for that question on this podcast. And I think it's the number one answer for most people if you go outside. Mm, yeah. But like, what are really the what options? Are, what are our options? What are we yeah. going to do? I think there's a lot of options, to be honest. And I think they're largely corporate and financial okay. and mm-hmm. politically motivated. Um, one of the big things, and I, I don't want this to sound bad either, but I think there's a lot of coal rollers on the road that shouldn't be. You know, it's cool to chip your truck and, you know, get a more performance out of your truck and this kind of thing, especially when you're towing and all that kind of stuff. But when you're unnecessarily just pumping out all sorts of black smoke out of your vehicle, I think, especially when there's an inversion, that's just bad form. Yeah. I mean, because we all have to breathe it. It's yeah. You know, so it's just kind of rude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that's one thing. I think there's a lot of that. I think the cars have a lot to do with it. But yeah, there's some industry that. It's not kind to it either. Maybe maybe a little more public transportation or something like that. Yeah, yeah. that would be yeah. nice if they really increased the quality of our public transportation. That would be amazing. I think that's that's actually a really good solution, but I think that's probably the most difficult. Oh, for sure. Infrastructure-wise and yeah, yeah. I mean, going to Europe, I mean, seeing all the, the public infrastructure there is for transportation in Europe, it's amazing. I mean, you don't even need to own a car there. Yeah, but they've also been in there for like, what, thousands of years and we're only i mean utah's less than 200 years old right right yep so maybe it just takes time maybe we'll see how it goes i mean it's just i was how important it is it on somebody's agenda (laughs) yeah Uh, but that's definitely a good solution i like it so before we wrap this episode up today i like to usually open up a little bit of time now make sure if there's anything that we didn't mention anything that you're like i want to make sure we talked about this on the podcast is there anything you want to bring up shout outs anything or we can even talk about uh, how people can invest into it again, and we can kind of go over that a little bit. Yeah, more. I'd, love, I'd love to go over the investment uh, bit, and then um, I think what kind of separates us as a distillery. Share that. What separates you? Let's start there. There's a lot of distilleries that are opening up. I think the last count is something over three thousand now for craft spirits uh, distilleries. When 15 years ago, I think there were less than 50 in the U.S. Uh, so it's really booming, right? I mean, it's going nuts, kind of like the way craft brew or craft breweries did. And so it's kind of hard to stand out in the crowd, you know, and everybody's kind of doing their thing. So one of the things that we've chosen, and it, it was actually the whole reason for starting the distillery was the fact that, you know, we just wanted this unbridled creativity. And that's actually kind of the core part of our mission is just to say, look, um, you know, there's this idea that you have to have this, a spirit in some category. And there's like, eight major categories, you know, like whiskey, gin, uh, you know, tequila, whatever. And we want to make spirits that don't necessarily have to fit into a category. We want to just like for our uh, brandy, we put molasses in it. So now it's no longer a brandy. Um, it's not really an O to V. It's not really a rum. Do you think that'll be really difficult to uh, get placed in 
in like liquor stores or anything without having a that is an exactly area? the risk. Yeah, that, yeah. No, that's, that's real smart of you. Um, so yeah, you you run this risk of being put on the specialty shelf because the way the TTB, which is the federal government, classifies you as specialty spirit. So you're kind of on this, I call it like the short bus uh, specialty <laughs> shelf at the liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> and there's only like, you know, a handful of things over there and hardly anyone really goes over to that section. But I want to embrace it and I really want to expand that section to say, look, you know, craft brewing already did it. Mm-hmm. Right. They they came up with so many creative different things for beer. I mean, before the craft brewing uh, explosion, you know, you basically had the big Budweiser and, you know, the other big companies that are out there, Coors and whatever. You could and, have those or you could have a light. That yeah, was it. yeah. No, that's kind of right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, all along comes, you know, some historical stuff like IPAs, like IPAs are ubiquitous now. But who made an IPA before the craft brew industry? You know, and then even the more creative stuff like, you know, grapefruit, this or that, or, you know, aging beer in barrels. And nobody kind of really did that. And I think that was really a, a, an amazing thing for that industry and for, you know, folks that just want to try something different. So that's kind of what we're doing, too. With spirits, we don't we're not going to start out by saying we're going to make a rum. We're going to start out by saying we want to make something that tastes like this. So we've actually got something cool going on. Uh, I had a woman contact me out of New York. And she's like, hey, we make uh, maple syrup. Are you interested? And it's like, well, that's really random for you to contact me. But hmm, (laughs) let me look into that. So I kind of did. I said, okay, well, what's out there really for uh, maple syrup uh, spirits? And there's a lot of spirits where people have added maple syrup later, you know, as like kind of a liqueur or, you know, just like a flavor enhancement kind mm -hmm, of thing. mm -hmm. Um, But nobody's really distilling it, right? They're not taking it, fermenting it and running it all the way through the process. And I think the biggest reason that I found is that it was cost. Right. I mean, you're talking like 50 bucks a gallon for maple syrup and you genuine know, maple syrup is so expensive. It is really expensive and, and, you know, it's hard to make. And, yeah. uh, but I'm, I'm not deterred by that. Cause I think, you know, if you, you can get economies of a scale and, you know, not to mention, even if it is expensive, I might make something, if it's amazing, sell it, you know, right. Yeah. I mean, just, we won't make a ton of it. But. I mean, if it is amazing, people will want to pay what it's worth. Right. Exactly. So, so I said, okay, what am I going to do with this? What kind of yeast am I going to use? Right. And I was, you know, I'm thinking I'm going through, I got a catalog of esters that different yeasts produce, you know, and I'm like going through all the different flavors. And, you know, this, you guys are the first to find out about this, by the way, too. Um, because in about three weeks, we're going to do a press, or before that, we're going to do a press release about this. But um, I was looking for esters that kind of produce a buttery flavor. Oh, yeah. Right. I have to, oh my gosh, <laughs> I have to try this stuff. Uh, yeah. So, so, there's another company that makes rum, or uh, sorry, they call it a, a rum out of maple syrup, an acer rum, because acer is, I think, the Latin for maple. Anyway, they're out of Quebec. There's maybe one other company in Vermont, but we're going to uh, do it. And so I, I wanted to find out this yeast. So I contacted Lalamond, and Lalamond is this company. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're huh. they're they're huge. They're a global company that makes yeast, uh, largely for the wine industry and like beer. champagne yeast. And mm-hmm. okay, yep. yeah. And they supply a ton of it uh, worldwide. I think they've got like four thousand employees. Wow. Anyway, I called them because I'm like, okay, well, I'm looking for a yeast that produces this particular ester. Um, what do you got? And they're like, well, let me send you to this guy. And let me send you to this guy. And got a little bit of the, you know, okay, that's interesting. Finally got on the phone with this one guy who was, uh, he's like a, uh, I think he's got a master's in biochemistry. And he's working with them in their product development and sales. Um, and I told him what we're doing. He's like, holy cow, that sounds really good. And I'm actually from New Hampshire, so I get it. Oh, that's so <laughs> he's cool. He's like, I'm really excited about this. And he says, so I tell you what, uh, you know, we don't really have a yeast that's going to do that. But we got another product that 
isn't available. It's actually on our back burner that we've been thinking about at some day uh, developing into a product. Uh, what do you think if we fly a guy out and work with you guys and we develop this with you in a partnership? Oh, no way. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. So like what, I mean, it's not a yeast. Nope. But it produces yeast-like effects? So it's actually a bacteria. Okay. A beneficial bacteria. Like um, kombucha. Uh, some, well, <laughs> yeah. well, actually, and do you know uh, lambic beers, uh, the, the sours? Uh-huh. Sour beers, all the sourness comes from a bacteria. Okay. Interesting. So, so bacteria can really taste amazing. It can taste oh, really yeah. good. Um, <laughs> this I know, is even though, bacteria. Yeah, I know, right? It doesn't sound good. But um, but it is. It is. Yeah, it, it can be. And so they're like, we really want to develop this product with you because it sounds really cool uh, to do that. So that's one of the things that, uh, in fact, after I'm done here, I'm going down there to do our control batches uh, to put those together um, and getting ready for his visit uh, to come out. Very and, cool. Yeah. And this will be available in the liquor stores too. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if it comes out and everything works out like we want it, uh, absolutely, man, we're going to, you know, sell it wherever we can. Um, but that's the kind of thing we're doing. That's, yeah. that's the point, right? I mean, we're constantly looking for something, not necessarily new to be new, but just whatever catches our eye. Yeah. And, but, think, and why not? You know? Well, I, I, what I was going to, I think a lot of businesses need to be more innovative, right? Like that's the only way we're going to progress as a society. You gotta, you gotta think outside the box. Like you, you're doing with, with what you're doing at Clearwater. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And who knows, maybe you'll be onto something, man. Maybe in the next 10 years, people will be adding. All <laughs> You'll kinds start a of new stuff. genre. Yeah, fingers yeah. crossed. Right? Yeah. 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 I hope. I mean, it, like I said, they've done it with craft beer. Uh, why don't we do it with spirits? Let's just, you know, Take the shackles off. Don't worry about what it's going to be called. Um, don't try to fit in into any particular category. Just make something cool. Yeah. Don't worry about the purists. Do your yeah. own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how, could, uh, how can our listeners get a hold of you or like website? I mean, I'm assuming Facebook, social media. I don't know, give all those yeah. addresses. Yeah. So we're on stuff. Facebook. We're, we're most active on Facebook. Okay. So um, I think it's just cla- uh, slash Clearwater Distilling. Okay. Uh, we have our website, clearwaterdistilling.com. Uh, our uh, fundraising campaign. So for anyone who wants to uh, actually own a part of this, there's, you know, while the campaign is still open, you have the opportunity to do that. That's at startengine.com slash clear water. Okay. Uh, or clear water distilling. Actually. <laughs> I'll put all of that at I am with this episode too. So they can Great. go right to that link. Thanks. And then there's a link on our website too. Okay. Also. So for it to be an investor. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So th- that's our main thing. And so, yeah. And if you want to come see us, you know, we're in Pleasant Grove. We're down on um, 700 South or Sam White Lane, they call it. Uh, not far from the liquor store, actually. Are you giving tours? We are. We will. Uh, so since we are just trying to get our stuff packaged, it's kind of a tease to have a tour and not be able to taste. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. No tasting. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So we've actually done a few tours already, but, you know, they just kind of like just to show some folks around and that really wanted to come in and see the place and, and talk about it. But yeah, we'll, we'll get the, the formalized tours with the tasting and, and all of that set up here in the next few weeks. That's Very so cool. Well. Yeah. Throw your final question out, Chrissy. All right. My final question to you is if you could leave our listeners with a motto or a piece of life advice that you live by, what would it be? You know, um, I would just say that if you want to do something, do it. You know, it it takes some courage and it takes, uh, you know, some getting out of your comfort zone uh, for certain. But if there's anything that you really want to do and you, you wonder what it's like to do it, just uh, take the step and, you know, there'll be some learning, there'll be some things and it won't be exactly what you expect. But if you want to do it, just just do it. Many thanks again to Matt O'Claire for joining us on this episode. 
All the links that we mentioned in this conversation can be found with this episode's show notes on our website, which can be found at IamSaltLake.com slash 424. That's for episode 424. Our weekly recommendations this week are going to be a little different. I just saw what Chrissy typed on the screen here, and uh, I think it's great, you guys, because there's a lot going on right now in the world, everything going on right now with the coronavirus. It's getting crazy. It's getting crazy. I know Chrissy and myself, we're just kind of hanging out here at home. We're kind of distancing ourselves from the world, which is, it's great. I mean, this is a great time to hang out with your family and get to know your family a little bit better. Uh, but my weekly recommendation is just to be more kind. There is so much crap talk on Facebook right now, even dealing with this coronavirus because a lot of skepticism and just like unnecessary. Exactly. Stuff. You got yeah. this person over here. This is their thoughts. You got this person over here. This is their thoughts. And it's like nobody knows who is right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's not even the point of it. The point of it is we're all we all deal with things differently. Okay. I deal with things differently than Chrissy. So let's just be kind. Okay. Let's be kind. See, I like that. Let's all be human to each other. All Maybe right. this is the thing we all need to pull us together as humans, hey, you know? <laughs> just give us our weekly recommendation, okay. Chrissy. Well, so my weekly recommendation is to try a new hobby. I know that sounds silly, but right now we're all going through distancing ourselves and more from social situations and kind of isolating ourselves, you know, so that we don't overwhelm the healthcare system and everything. And so I think we should use this opportunity to try something you've always wanted to do because we're all stuck at home a little bit more than we're used to. Hey, I love it. You're always yeah. telling me, hey, Chris, you need to find more hobbies than just podcasting. Right? <laughs> well, see, I have a list of hobbies I want to try. But now that I actually have time, I'm like scared and don't know what to do. So I'm going to force myself to do one. You're scared of starting a hobby? Oh, yeah, because it's gonna, I'm going to suck at it. You're going to suck. Just start anyway, right? We're all beginners, right? Yeah. We're all beginners one time. All right, let's wrap this episode up, Chrissy. A few things before we leave. You can subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. We're also on Spotify and Pandora. Just for search for I Am Salt Lake inside of any of those apps and hit the subscribe button so every episode comes right to your phone when we release it. Also, if you want to support this podcast, you can do that by supporting the awesome businesses at supportsaltlake.com. Especially with everything going on right now, this is an important time to head on over to supportsaltlake.com and support these businesses. Better yet, just go support all the businesses here in Salt Lake City. The the safest way you can. I know there's a lot of uh, businesses that are hurting right now. So mm -hmm. let's uh, support the city we live in. Buy gift cards to hold on to for later. You know, do something. All right. You guys have a great week. Remember to get out and support our businesses if possible. Buy gift cards if possible. Support when possible. Give your mom a call. Give her a hug. We'll see you here next week on the next episode. And good night, Grammy.